Next Sunday, we celebrate resurrection. I am, I am thoroughly disappointed in all of you. Okay, the culmination of what it means to be a believer takes place because of Easter. And when I say words like resurrection, whatever. Do you not understand Easter? If you're new, sorry. So, we are having four Easter services. Four. So, we're doing one on Saturday night. So, if you're going to be at... Woo! Okay. Someone's coming. We got one. All right. So, so if you're in a town on Sunday, you're busy, something's going on, or you decide you're going to come and help out with the children's in the back, excellent. You can come on Saturday night, 6 p.m. Now, I'm going to warn you up front, if you decide to come to this service, that's the service where I might say things and be like, oh, I will not say that tomorrow morning. This, right now, this is called the 815 service, so that happens out a lot. I'm like, like this morning, I said, I had like this whole Freudian slip, and I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I'm like, I will make sure I don't say that when I get to the other. Anyway, so that's Saturday night's kind of like that. I say some things. I'm like, ooh, I'll fix that up. So it's kind of like we call it practice, and you get to be a part of it. So if you want to, Saturday night, 6 p.m., we also have our three normal Sunday morning service times. We are also doing a Good Friday service. A Good Friday service is at 8 p.m. on this Coming Friday, if it's cold or windy, you probably want to bring a jacket or some sort because we're going to be outside. And again, if you are a believer and you're always thinking, oh, I want to invite my, one of my friends to something, do not invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus to Good Friday. Okay, because Good Friday is really introspective about understanding what Jesus has done for us. And if someone is not a believer, they may not understand what's going on. And we want to you know move this whole thing so we understand what jesus has done and what he calls us to do so that, that's kind of my preamble to that if you want to invite somebody invite them to easter which is resurrection <laughs> you guys all right welcome to element my name is aaron i am one of the pastors here there are bibles in the back if you don't own one you can have one if you forgot one you can use one there are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room inside of those you will find sermon notes as well on the back you'll have questions of the stuff that we covered this morning if you have a smartphone you can download an app it is called uversion click on live in uversion it'll bring us up by gps in your smartphone you will get sermon notes and verses and all that goes along with this morning's message so why don't you stand with me for reading of god's word This is Acts chapter 20, verse 27, and the Apostle Paul says this, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who understand what it means to have the whole counsel of things you have said in your word, and that daily as we go on in our lives, loving and serving and follow you, we understand more and more of what that is. And today... I ask you to help us to take the Beatitudes deep inside of us so that we begin to live them out in ways that bring honor to you and that our lives are found more and more in who you are. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, this is Sermon on the Mount. We're in week 12. And I got to tell you, when, when I normally do a sermon series of some sort, I will go through and figure out how we're going to parcel this out and walk through this. Like two years ago, I decided we were going to do the Sermon on the Mount. And so what I do is I go through my quiet time and my personal time with Jesus in the mornings. And then what I will do is after I finish that, I'll go through another book. And I'll come back and I'll do the Sermon on the Mount again. Then I'll go through another book and I'll come back to the Sermon on the Mount again. I have gone through the Sermon on the Mount, you know, six, eight, ten times before I even parceled out how I was going to uh, 
uh, give it to you guys. And, and as I do that, uh, I, I had it kind of broken up like eight weeks for the Beatitudes. And in the end, it just kept getting longer and longer and longer because I wanted you guys to get this. So when you get just out of the Beatitudes, you'll understand it all. And so it's actually going to be 13 weeks. I got one more week in the Beatitudes. But I kind of did that also because the first week after Easter, if someone comes and they're new and they decide to stay, they get a little background on what the Beatitudes are before it goes into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So after today, you got one more Beatitude than the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I did this because I had this idea percolating in my head of when Paul says in Acts 20, 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul himself is talking about how he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, that he does this with a good conscience. He does not shrink back. And I hope when we are done with the Beatitudes and the entire Sermon on the Mount, you can say that when all that we have done in it. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And so today we're going to do an in-depth review of what this looks like. We're going to put this all together more in like a theological framework. And then in two weeks we'll do it more from a practical framework, and hopefully you get like an aha kind of moment. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, this, we're going to walk through the Beatitudes real quick. Uh, seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are what we call the Beatitudes. And they are not, you know, eight different groups of people. Oh, look, they're the poor in spirit. Oh, they're the peacemakers. Oh, they're the mourners. It is one class of people. And so we've been talking about this each week, and I've got to reiterate it to you again, that every one of these people are those who are getting into the kingdom of God. Jesus is making an announcement how the world really works. And in the beginning, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he talks about being comforted and talks about seeing God. It talks about inheriting the earth. Jesus talks about you and I adopted into his family, being children of God. And then he starts talking about mercy and the idea of soul satisfaction, so to speak, in who Jesus is, because our lives are found in him. They're not found in our achievements. They're not found in our things. They're not found in ourselves. Our life is found in Jesus Christ. And so he's not talking about all these different blessings. He's talking about blessing, blessing, all the different aspects of what it means to enter into and live in the kingdom of God. All these things are essentially the same idea of the blessing. They're aspects of the great riches that come to people as they live and enter the kingdom of God. Again, not eight different types of people, eight characteristics of one people group, the people who enter the kingdom of God when they're born again. Now, I was talking to one of my friends last night. Uh, she doesn't attend here, but she listens every week online, and she says, one of the things I like about you is you don't typically repeat yourself. And I said, don't listen to tomorrow morning. So because I'm going to totally repeat myself tomorrow morning, because I really do. I want to drill this deep into you. You know, if you've ever taken like a, a course in college and you feel like the professor says the same thing over and over and over to almost where you can say the words that you know he's going to say that are coming out of his mouth. That's almost what I want you to get, because that means you got it. I want you to understand this. John 3, 3, Jesus tells a guy named Nicodemus, you must be born again. And in the Christian churches, we're always going, oh, you got to be born again, born again, born again. But what's the point of being born again? Jesus goes on to say, you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's not fire insurance. It's a gateway into the kingdom of God. The kingdom is about life with God here and now and then into eternity. 
He goes on to say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's like the Beatitudes are a piece of music. They're moving in and out. It's different movements and stanzas, and it's one beautiful piece of music, and the whole thing is about the kingdom of God, which means the order that Jesus talks about is very important, which is why we're going to draw this all together today. I think it's easy over a period of week to lose perspective of this. And so the first four Beatitudes tell you essentially, you know, how you become a Christian, how you follow Jesus and enter the kingdom of God. The last four tells you how it is lived out in our lives. So I'm going to cover these. Number one, he says, poor in spirit. You got to be poor in spirit. To, to understand that, that means that you say, my problems are beyond me. My life is beyond me. I cannot save myself. Number one, first thing irreplaceable that Jesus talks about entering the kingdom of God is you realize Jesus is not a means to our own end. Jesus is not a self-help enrichment course. Jesus is Lord God over all and we are poor in spirit and we need him. The second thing is that those who mourn, those who mourn, this is the idea that you're poor in spirit so you start to mourn in spirit. Mourning in spirit goes past being poor in spirit to say, you know what, I got problems and I understand they're beyond me. They're not just philosophical, they're not just sociological, they're not not just physiological, they're spiritual in nature. My problem is sin. And until we're willing to call our sin sin, we'll never really live in the kingdom of God. We have to be able to do that. It's not your lack of self-esteem. It's not your bitterness. It's not your resentment. It's not your sensitivity or lack of it, depending on what side of that you fall. Until we're willing to call our problem sin, we will have a very hard time ever living in the kingdom of God. And sometimes that can mean that you may have a lot together. You may look really good in your life. You know, you, you, you don't have a whole lot of outward manifestations of sin. And so you can compare yourself to other people and say, man, I look really good compared to all those people. It's like you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't get violent, you don't watch the Country Music Awards, you don't buy pickles. You know, all those things that we might deem and classify as sins you, you don't do. But the problem is that is that now you start to become like the Pharisees. And you think you have it all together, you look great, so you start to look at everybody else and you say, well, why aren't they as spiritual as me? Well, why don't they love Jesus like I do? Why don't they serve like I do? Why don't they do all the good things that I do? And all of a sudden, you're just judging everybody else around you. What has happened is you have gone from being poor in spirit to being like a Pharisee. You know, we know what Satan got kicked out of heaven for? Pride. You went from poor in spirit to being like Satan. That is not a good trajectory. That's a horrible trajectory to go, okay? I'm just saying. The essence of all sin is pride. The claim on our own lives to say, I own me. Now, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, into the first decades of of our century here, we are coming out with all these self-help books today. And they're all about how to make your life better. There's one actually came out in the 80s, and it's called, I Ain't Much Baby, But I'm All I've Got. And it's sold, People bought this thing. The fundamental assumption behind all self-help books is the same. I own me. Even if I didn't create me, I still own me. I have a right over my own life. I call my own shots. I have the right to live as I see fit. In other words, I am my own God. I center my life on myself. That's what sin is. And we all have this sin in our heart. And until we acknowledge it, we will never live full life in the kingdom of God. We are poor in spirit. We see our problems are beyond as we mourn because we're willing to call our problems sin. Thirdly, the meek. This means we turn to God humbly and say, I am taking my hands off my own life. I cannot do this. It's about surrender. It is not just about admitting your problem is sin. It is also surrendering to God and saying, you have my life. Please take over. There is surrender that has to happen. And the fourth thing it gets to is those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And uh, when we talked about this, I spent a lot of time on this beatitude. And I'm going to spend a lot of time on it this morning as well. 
And this, this in one sense is people, you know, who don't even know how to do the right thing, but they're hungering for it. That's part of it. But the bigger part of it is understanding that we hunger and thirst after a righteousness that is not our own. We have to begin to hunger and thirst after his righteousness in our lives. Now, let me explain what I mean by this, okay? Suppose you went into baseball. And you had, like, just this great record. You're amazing. You get, like, five Cy Young Awards or, like, four MVP Awards or three batting championships. You just got this great record. And then you decide you're going to retire at the ripe old age of 37 years old, <laughs> which is just crazy. Anyway, okay, you know, you retire. But because of your record, it opens all kinds of doors for you. I mean, it's probably already been doing that. you probably got, like, Nike and Under Armour, you know, plastered and tattooed all over you. But once you retire, it opens all kinds of other doors. It opens doors for business opportunities that the rest of people really in America don't even have. But it's because of the record. It opens social opportunities. It opens marriage opportunities. It opens remarriage opportunities, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, you know, it opens uh, speaking engagements. It opens uh, sit-ins on Sports Center. All of these things because of your record. Maybe you go off to war and, you know, military base, and so maybe you get all kinds of uh, decorations on your record. Maybe you get, like, a Congressional Medal of Honor or umpteen purple hearts or how many, you know, silver stars or bronze stars, and you come back because of that record again, it will open all kinds of doors for you in your life. You know, it opens social opportunities and business opportunities and, again, kind of marriage opportunities. What about if you go into the very best graduate school in whatever field you're going to go into? And you go to the best graduate school and you come out with the best honors and the best grades and the best recommendations from all of your professors. And that's your record. That record is going to open tons of doors for you. So the question becomes, um, what record will open up the kingdom of God? What record opens that up? You can be sure to come into God's presence, feel his sense of love and life and the sense that he talks to you and you get to talk with him. You get to know his power in your life and you start to live in ways you never thought you could before. You know that he answers your prayers, that he loves you, and he's guiding you in all things. How do we know we have complete access to God? What record opens the door to God? And the answer is, and we all know it deep inside, it's a perfect record and a perfect life. See, the, the one thing I think that is funny, and so all is it just is so damn deep inside of us, and we know this. It's why, do, why we try to project that we have it together all the time. Like, if you ride a bike and you wreck on your bike, what's the first thing you do? Okay, besides saying Al, okay. <laughs> You jump up you know, and make sure nobody saw you. Do. Who saw that? I, about a year ago, I'm pulling out of here on my road bike. i got those skinny little tires, right? So I'm pulling out of here, and right there, there's, you'll see it. There's this huge grate in the ground. You can't miss it unless you're me, okay? And I didn't miss it because I ran right into it. Okay, so I pull out, and my, my tire goes, boom, right in that thing. I'm clipped into the pedals, so I go over. The bike's still attached to me. I'm like, ugh, what do I do? I get out of the pedals. I hop up. The first thing I do, because it's on the corner, right? And I look, did anybody see that? It's the first thing I do. You ever in elementary school when you're talking with your buddy, walking down the hallway, you're like, da, 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 and there's a pole. Bong! Anybody? Okay, good. Four of us. We've had this happen. First thing you do is you look around. Did anybody see that? Oh, my goodness. What's going on? That's the first thing that we do. We all have this thing deep inside of us that says, you know, there's something that I need to be perfect. I got to figure this out. So a lot of people go go into therapy today. They go to a therapist and they say, I feel like I have to be perfect. And the therapist says, well, that's horrible. You shouldn't feel like you have to be perfect. And they do everything they can do to help you to understand that you don't have to be perfect. But it never makes it any better because you realize you need to be perfect deep down inside. Other people who can't afford a therapist, they do all sorts of things to try and shut down and quiet their consciences or inject our conscience as much as we can on top of what's speaking to us deep inside. Deep down inside, we know what kind of record opens the door to God. And there's only one, and it's a perfect record. And none of us have that record. 
See, it's kind of amazing. We will hit like things like the Beatitudes, and we will blaze through those first three. I mean, we'll be like poor in spirit, mourn, we'll meek. Yeah, and then we hit that fourth one, and we all go crazy Christian sideways, become like Pharisees, try to do it all by ourselves so that God will like us because we're so good and so wonderful. And we do, it's, it's nuts. I mean, because you can feel like your problems are beyond you. You know, you can realize your problem is sin. You might even say, Lord, I need you in my life. And then we try to do it all on our own, doing everything we possibly can. We go to church, which is a good thing. I am glad you're here, okay? You go to like a gospel community, which is a good thing. You should do that. You start reading the Bible, start reading the scriptures, but it's all about us trying to clean up our own lives. We are working to make God love us. It is trying to do everything we can to get that record that opens that door so we can feel worthy of the love that God gives to us. And either we will either get crushed under the load of guilt or we'll get burned out from the Christian business of it all or we'll go you know into left field or right field and just run off because we can't handle it anymore we'll never come home because the fourth beatitude is blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness and that is not a righteousness of our own it is a hunger and thirst after righteousness that is someone else's righteousness given to us the righteousness is not a hungering for yourself and what you perceive as your righteousness it's realizing you don't have any righteousness of your own and you say i have to have a perfect righteousness from somewhere else and that's only found in jesus when we surrender our lives and follow jesus as savior his perfect record comes to us his death his life comes to us the most perfect illustration that i can think of of this comes the one before jesus obviously uh, is when you look at joseph all the way back in genesis and joseph and his 12 brothers you know if here's the story of joseph and his 12 brothers Uh, his brothers hate joseph because his father favors him over everybody else i mean you can probably relate if you have siblings it's like either you were the favorite or you weren't so either side of that you know what that feels like okay so you know what they do these brothers they decide we're gonna beat joseph up we're gonna get rid of joseph we're gonna put him in a pit and sell him into slavery and so that's what they do and joseph ends up going down to egypt Egypt in slavery these brothers say we're never going to see him again he'll die on the road he's going to die on some dungeon we've gotten rid of him joseph goes down to egypt as a slave he ends up in jail but because god is faithful to him and god loves him god takes care of him joseph is committed to god and on the other side of this he comes out being the second most powerful man in egypt next to the pharaoh Now, later on, there is a famine in the land. And what happens is this famine extends over to where Joseph's family lives. And so they decide to go down to Egypt to buy grain because only Egypt has grain because Joseph was smart enough to save for a rainy day. So they go down to Egypt to buy grain, and they don't realize it's Joseph, but they're there buying grain from Joseph. And Joseph runs through all these tests, and eventually he reveals himself to his brothers. Now, this is Genesis 45. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to skip all over the chapter to illustrate this, but just listen to this. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it, because Joseph is a crier, and he cries loud. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They were terrified because they realized they had wronged him. There was no rightness between them. They were not righteous before Joseph. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be plowing. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you. He goes on to say you. And then he says, your lives. He says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all. Come down to me. Don't delay. You will live here with me. 
So you have these brothers. They're trembling before Joseph. The brothers thought that they killed him. Now he's like back from the dead. They're standing there. They're waiting full of fear and guilt. They're waiting for like Joseph's, you know, hatchet man to come in and take their heads off. And instead, what they feel is his hot tears on their neck. And Joseph says, listen, I love you. I love you. You tried to kill me, but it was an order for me to save you. And now I'm Lord of all of this land. I have access to the throne of Egypt. You get to come here and live with me as kings like I am living. Now, the Egyptians, they hated Hebrews. They thought they were beneath them. They did not like them. So they get to go, and they're going to live in Egypt just like lords of the land like Joseph. Why? Because of Joseph's record. That's why. That's why. They go home in wonder and rejoicing. Do you know that's what it's like to enter the kingdom of God? It's exactly what it's like to know, to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. To stand before Jesus is knowing, number one, that he is our savior, God, prophet, priest, king, and also our brother. Secondly, we understand we spent our entire life rebelling against him, trying to live our own life and be our own master and get out from underneath of God's hand. Because of our sins, Jesus was put to death. Our sin causes him to die. What separated us from God, Jesus died to pay for And now the good news of the gospel is that he appears before us. And if we really have any inkling of what's going on, we bow our heads because we're poor in spirit. We mourn. We're meek and humble. And you're kind of almost waiting for that sword to come down. And a lot of people, even Christians, live their lives like that. We sit there with the sword waiting to come down. And instead, what you should understand is you don't feel that sword. You feel his arms around you, lifting you up. And he says, listen, your sin killed me, but it was so I could save you. You move into my kingdom. You live here as God's children, just like me, on the basis of my record. That's what he says. What it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness is to bow the knee to Jesus and say, I don't know why I don't feel a sword, this cold still coming down on my neck. Instead, I feel your tears and your kisses and your arms on me. I see because of what you have done, not because of anything I have done, that I can now enter into this kingdom that you call yours based upon your record. It is giving up our own pursuit of a perfect record and hungering and thirsting after what he has already done for for us. It is not saying, you owe me, I've worked so hard, I've tried my best, I've lived a good life. It's not even, oh, I've had a really hard life. I mean, if you call yourself a Christian, you think you can go to God and say, oh, you owe me? You might have actually gone through those first three Beatitudes, but you've never gotten to the fourth one where you're hungering and thirsting after his righteousness, and you will never live truly in the kingdom of God. We must understand that we have nothing in our own record to throw before God. So we owe him everything. We say, Jesus, be my everything. All I need is you, your record. We hunger and thirst after his righteousness. Now, I know you're like, you just spent a lot of time in those first four Beatitudes. Are you going to spend that much time in the last four? No. Okay. It's kind of like when you ride a mountain bike to the top of a hill, you go down a lot faster to the backside. So that's where we are. I'm going to hit the last four, and then we'll kind of bring this together. Okay, because all of these things, when we understand this, our lives become completely changed. They're totally different. And so you go to blessed are the merciful, so we become a people of mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Our hearts walk in the things of God. We become less hypocritical. We have an undivided life. Blessed are the peacemakers. We seek to bring peace and not division. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. See, these four Beatitudes sum up completely different kingdom life that we're supposed to live in. 
Now, uh, I got a good illustration of what I think this looks like. A few weeks ago, I told you this story by a lady named uh, Becky Pippert. It's a great story. It's in her book called Hope Has Its Reasons. She also has another great story. She, she has a lot of great stories. She's a funny lady. But anyway, uh, she's talking about how she's taking a graduate course in psychology from Harvard University. And so she's listening to a teacher talk about how they're using this thing called psychodynamic psychotherapy to help this particular guy. So they're all discussing his case. And this guy has a lot of hostility towards his mom, how it's controlling and ruining his life. And he's always denying it. And so they talked about this whole thing during the class. And at the end of the class, Becky Pippert raises her hand and she says, okay, let me ask you a question. What would you say if you were able to get the man to understand all of these things? And he said, thank you for showing me all this, but how do I forgive my mother? Now, this man, this teacher, this guy who's written all these books, this great instructor says, well, I guess what the therapist would say is lots of luck. Suddenly, the entire room of all these students are like, whoa, what? What, the what? what are you doing? You know, wait a minute here. We're all studying to be therapists. Everybody in the room you know, starts saying, I thought the whole idea of counseling was to help people. I thought the idea of counseling was to help and give people the ability to change and that sort of thing. And they kept bringing this up. And eventually the professor says this. Look, it's hard enough to understand what runs us and what has hurt us. It's hard enough to understand your insides. It's hard enough to understand your family life and background. Don't foist your neurosis about forgiveness on the patient throwing your values on him. So what he just said is it's not about forgiveness. So at that point, Becky Pippert raises her hand and she, she says, wait a minute. I have two things to say. She says, and first, and I don't know how to put this in the appropriate psychobabble. She goes, but first, what good is therapy if you can't teach somebody once he sees what his feelings are how to deal with those feelings? What is the use of helping somebody understand his feelings when they're just going to destroy him? She says, and secondly, I want you to know I'm not taking this course for credit. (laughs) Which is funny if you've been to college, by the way. Because anyway, so the last thing this professor says to everybody in the room is this. He says, listen, I appreciate your concern. If you're looking for a changed heart, you're looking in the wrong department. Because that's not what psychology does. See, the whole idea of the kingdom of God, the whole idea behind it, is exactly what it's all about. That is about a changed heart. It's about a changed life, everything becoming different. This is where therapy and psychotherapy fails because when it's honest, it says this is what it can do and this is what it can't do. It can help you understand, but it will never take you beyond that. It will never take you beyond to the heart issue of understanding what Jesus has done, living in the kingdom of God, and how forgiveness is so important. The scripture tells us when our lives come under the kingship of Christ, they are hands of a king who has healing hands. Timothy Keller says this. He says, and thus shall the rightful king be known. Because he is the rightful king. When you have the right king over you, everything begins to change. Uh, If you were at baptisms last week, you probably saw my backyard. It looks great right now. I mean, the lawn, not tooting my own horn, okay, but about every six months what happens is my lawn starts to die. And what I do is I call my mom. My mom has been a landscaper and a gardener for years. She will come over, oh, you're dumb. This is what you do. And she'd put this on there and water like this and do this and take your weed whacker and weed whack these things. So you're everything. I'm like, oh, okay. And it'll look great for about six months. And then they'll start to die. I call my mom. Mom, and she, she comes over to My mom is a good gardener. She understands how to make things blossom. What we have to understand is that God is the only gardener who can make our lives blossom. He is the only one who can make sense of all the stuff that we have been through. He is the only one who has truly healing hands that can make a difference in us. When our lives come under his kingship and rule, our lives begin to blossom and explode and expand. 
the last Beatitudes, what those four tell you, is merciful. All your relationships become to be transformed because you live in the kingdom of God. You become a merciful person, pure in heart. This is even, even psych- psychologically speaking. Intrapsychically, internally, you will be transformed. Not just in your relationships, but in your psychology you're transformed. Because you become pure in heart talks about being a peacemaker. Your whole direction in life becomes transformed. It's no longer about you. You now get to live on a mission that makes sense, that has purpose in your life. You'll be a peacemaker. And sometimes that mission is hard. Sometimes it is tough. And sometimes it brings persecution. But if persecution comes into your life, it's going to do nothing but make you grow closer and closer to Christ. That's what it's going to do. See, do you see how all these things fit together? They all come together. We're going to flesh this out a little bit more next week. But it all comes together, uh, I mean, in two weeks. You know, the, you've got to realize when our focus is the person of Jesus Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. Because when he becomes king and ruler and Lord over our lives, nothing separates us from that. And we understand the healing hands of our great and good king. I mean, 2,000 years ago, Jesus walks through the Sermon on the Mount. He talks through these things to make these things understandable to these people of that culture. To say, do you understand what it really means to live and walk in the kingdom of God? This is what it means. Our lives completely changed. We are surrendered and bowed to him and his kingship. And when that happens, everything looks different. His hands are healing hands. That's what they are. And all of it goes together. It's one great blessing it's interesting i was talking to uh, my friend michelle the one who's leading music this morning and she said you know i went through uh you know all these years of college and she goes i can never put my finger on what it was as i went through all these years of college about you know psychology and all these things and and she's there's always something missing and that's exactly what it is It, it shows you what the problem is but it doesn't tell you how to do something about it only jesus makes sense of our lives because he is the one who created us and made us And this is why we understand we are poor in spirit, that we mourn, that we mourn, and that we become meek and humble, and that we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness that is not our own. It's his righteousness. Then we become merciful. Our whole lives begin to be transformed because of that. You know, we we are people who become pure in heart. You know, our whole direction in life becomes transformed because we become peacemakers, and sometimes that brings persecution. But we live in the kingdom of God, and that changes Everything. Everything. Again, this is why we go to communion every week. It's, it's that understanding of Christ's body was broken for us. So you break that cracker like his body was broken. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I. So we become this people who can actually live and walk in his kingdom. That we can be completely different people because of what Christ has done and what he continues to do. We get to be people who live in the kingdom of God. And that comes out of humbleness. It doesn't come out of, oh, look at me. I'm in the kingdom of God. It's a humble place to live in. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to sing these songs. Um, take communion. And if you need prayer, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. Um, and maybe you know, you've lived your life in such a way that you're, that you're always trying to live on your own rightness. I mean, maybe you even you understand you're poor in spirit. Maybe you understand that, that you need to mourn over your sin and, you, and you're humble, but you still are trying to do it all on your own, that you think it's your record that God is going to be looking at. Maybe today 
you need to humbly bow and realize that it's his record given to you and begin to live and walk in that freedom and grace because then you'll begin to live the rest of those beatitudes out in your life and everything will look different. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what he has done. And there's food in the back, and we invite you to grab something to eat, maybe meet some other people, uh, grab some of the questions on there, maybe talk to those questions. One of the questions I put on there was, you know, after 12 weeks of the Beatitudes, has your mind shifted about any of them? Do you understand them any different, any better? Because that's kind of a good way to look at it. You know, what things have now begun to shift, to understand what living in the kingdom of God really looks like because of all that we've gone through. And so I'd invite you to, you know, grab those, talk to other people, because that's also part of our worship, getting together and talking to people and walking through these kind of things. And then hopefully I will see you on Resurrection Sunday, because it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we as a people would understand what it means to be a people who have been invited into and have already had the way opened up to the kingdom of God because of what you have done. That we'd be a people who surrender our lives to you, who trust you for all that you have done and all that you continue to do in our lives. I ask that we would understand how deep your love is for us. That you would send your son to take care of all of our brokenness so that you would begin to heal us, that you don't just point out our problem, but you also provide the solution for it in the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, have us be people who understand that, who begin to walk in the kingdom of God, offering the same love that has first been given to us, the same hope that has first been given to us, the same blessing that has been given to us, and that we wouldn't see church and worship just about being in this room on this day, but we'd understand how much more important it is to live that outside of these walls every single day of our lives, so that you're lifted up and your kingdom is known by a people of generous grace who know that grace because they live in your kingdom and their hearts and their lives have been completely transformed. Teach us to live in the kingdom as you have given it to us by your righteousness and your grace. We ask these things in your son's good name.